0: Love Talk Radio. Good morning. Well, it's actually midnight, so I suppose we're moving into morning. This is your host, Lorraine Nightheart, and you have reached Venus Unplugged. And what is explored here on the show are all aspects of Venus, whether it be as the star, as the heavens, as the archetype in our personal life, certainly in mythology and goddesses and all those things, Venusian, and what we're exploring next couple of weeks is Inanna, and today I'd like to explore Inanna as a queen of heaven. So with the Samorians and the Babylonians, I is it is Samorian, Ishtar is Babylonian, and they were fascinated by the stars, as we are, and in a way, you know, perhaps, uh, the way we now respond to the idea of exploring the universe, uh, nightly from the rooftop terraces of their houses, they must have watched, I don't know if they had rooftop terraces, uh, and they watched the night and the great constellations wheeling around them, which was, I guess, the natural television of the time, of the Bronze Age. And as the Sumerians came to identify the most brilliant stars and gave the zodiacal belt the names and the images that have endured to this day. Talk about projection, yes. So both Inanna and Ishtar were worshipped as... Uh, as the queen of heaven. And their principal images were the moon and Venus and the morning and the evening star, which may have given rise to the image of the eight-pointed star as well as the stylized rosette with eight um, petals as a symbolic meaning of their presence. Eight was the number sacred to the morning and the evening star, addressed as the radiant star, the great light. And in the Sumerian poem, eight was the number of years it took for the planet to return to the same point of the zodiac while at its greatest brilliancy. Now they know that because they were one with it all. It is also the number of the sacred year, celebrated not only in Samaria, but in Egypt, Crete, and Greece, when the full moon coincided exactly with the longest or shortest day. So, reconciling the lunar and solar time. Ishtar, in later seals, is often uh, shown with a circle of stars around her. Wow. No wonder Starbucks is so popular. That's their branding, that circle of uh, stars around the queen's head. Well, that's their star. Smart boys, smart girls, whoever created that branding, unconsciously or perhaps consciously knew what they were doing. So uh, she's shown with this circle of stars around her, and as she uh, personifies the zodiac. And indeed, the zodiac was called Ishtar's girdle. Talk about great branding. That would be great branding for lingerie, right? Mm, Ishtar's girdle. So Cyrus, the star that held significance for the Bronze Age civilizations in Egypt and in Crete, as well as in Samaria, was also uh, specifically associated with Inanna and Ishtar. And, uh, as were certain constellations such as Virgo and Scorpio. (laughs) So the story of Anana became as how she became a Moo goddess, uh, derives from in E-N-L-I-L-S, in Second, oh, this is such cosmic gossip. Okay, sit down, here we get the gossip. Okay, so... uh, Inanna becomes a moon goddess, and she derives from Inlao's second marriage to a goddess called Nilal, N I N L I L, whose name means Lady Air. After having been raped by Inal, she gave birth to Nana, the moon god, who in turn married Nagal, goddess of the moon, and they had two children. Thank goodness. Ainana, whose name means Queen Moon or Lady Moon, and Uti, the sun god. So, in this genealogy, uh, which seems to be uh, a later revelation or realization of her existence, Ainana is the great great granddaughter, it's taking me a little time here, of Namu and A.M. M. U. and the great-granddaughter of Kai Nguzba. And uh, so that in this mythological, Inanna, she takes on an individual character, and she is the first goddess, or god, we know, who suffers as though she were human. Hmm. And what about those humans that suffer as gods? like Psyche or others and who can therefore express the mysterious drama of the human condition our hymn um, addresses her as the moon goddess and the morning star so this is part of the hymn she made the night come forth like moonlight she made the morning come forth like the bright daylight, when in the bedchamber, sweet sleep had come to an end, when all the lambs and the black-haired people had assembled, who had slept on the roofs, who had slept in the walls, and uttering horizons approached her, brought their words to her. Then did she study their words? She knew the evil-doer. Against the evildoer, she renders a cruel judgment, destroys the wicked. She looks with kindly eyes on the straightforward and gives him her blessings. My lady looks on in sweet wonder from heaven's mist. They parade before the holy Ainana, the lady who reaches heaven. Ainana is lofty. The maid, Ainana. I will praise as is fitting. So that's part of a beautiful hymn. As there are, these hymns are absolutely exquisite and they're very much worth researching and reading and enjoying and becoming and unfolding and feeling them and performing them. Whatever you can do to bring, because Ainana, yes, she was a goddess and she is a goddess but to the people she was human. She experienced all things human and therefore very much like the Black Madonna relates to humanity. So she's not so so distant and she's certainly not distant in our psyche. She is part of that remembrance. So if uh, gods or goddesses or God itself seems too far away, you know, Ainana is ever present. She's there. Now, interestingly enough, Ainana's um goddess day or her her festival is august twentieth. And the things that about Ainana is is the the sky and universal awareness and lore. And remember in an earlier uh, episode I told you about me me, which is the laws. She took the laws from God and took them as her own. He gave them to her as a gift. And then when he woke up the next morning after he had a bit of a hangover he was looking for his powers, which he had given to Inanna while they were partying, and he wanted them back, and she said no. And the most important of the laws is and the ability to be just and that is very very big so this is where she comes in as as just and she brings these gifts that were given to her and she will not return because a gift given you can't be an Indian giver right? not even in heaven she brings it back to the culture which is why she is so loved, all right? So, and she is also, it's the universal uh, awareness and law movement, peace, unity, love, and leadership. Her symbols are the rose, the star, the lion, wands encrusted with stones, and dates, And so the Sumerian Lady of the Heavens looks down upon the world, seeing it in its wholeness and unity. Her gentle tears wash from heaven, putting out the emotional fires that keep people apart in the world or anywhere in the universe. Ainana oversees matters of love, divination, winemaking, and leadership, just to name a few. In works of art, she is depicted wearing a horned headdress and sprouting wings. So, on her uh, festival day, August twentieth, okay, she bears a message of peace and uh, and welcomes to any alien life forms that we might find. And she travels, and we are reminded of what a truly big place the universe is and that the importance of making our part of it better under Ainana's guidance and care. So it'd be you know, let's let's pray and chant and hymn and reenact and embody, uh, symbolically the this this wisdom and justness of Ainana so that, you know, people can Feel her and and perhaps bring peace within their own world, which would then bring peace to the world. So she's very much part of that. Uh, so to make yourself uh, uh, an Inanna wand, so, which is kind of cool, because we want to make the world a better place. So you get your little, you can create your little Inanna wand. For directing magical energy designed to manifest peace and oneness and love and leadership, and take, so what you need to do is you take a large rose twig or any fallen branch and let it dry. Encrust this with an amethyst. Uh, so that for those of you that are into uh, ritual and magic, so during spells and rituals, point the crystal in the direction you want the energy to travel. Finally, leave Ainana an offering of wine at dawn. She is the morning star to attract her power to your day. Isn't that lovely? So exquisite. So Ainana is also. We've got a couple of minutes here to be furthering our uh, awareness. Ainana Awareness uh, Week, right? Inanna is also the goddess of the storm. She's all things. So in in early uh, Samaria, as in old Europe, there was no separate image of the terrible goddess of death and destruction. Okay? So it wasn't the goddess of death as opposed to goddess of goodness. They didn't have that. It was all one big uh Potentiality, archetypal force, okay? So life and death were intertwined like the strands of a rope, two aspects of a whole. Inanna was identified with the unpredictable, chaotic, and destructive powers of nature, as well as the nurturing and life-bringing powers. It was she who presided over the thunderous roar of the storm, and the raging uh, floodwaters could erase years of labor in a few months, sweeping away any, any human lives, dwellings, and crops like so many lumps of mud. The Samarans greatly feared the power of the storm to infect devastating floods on the lands by the sudden rising of the river waters. So Inanna as the sky goddess in her dark aspect was portrayed as the thunderstorm, whose terrifying roar issued from the lion-headed thunderbird. Okay. i I'm trying to pronounce this. I'll spell it instead. I-M-D-U-G-U-D. And uh, that particular image, that that bird, was on the, uh, the seals of Inanna, the talismans, and it's carved in stone between two great uh, stags. And uh, that's a very powerful force. So when Inanna was in the form of the thunder and the storm and the air god, all right, so who is the brother of Ainana. It's always family, you know. They create the greatest storms and the greatest beauty. So it seems likely that the attribution of of the bird to the gods um, derives more from later Indo-European influences. Not so much at that time. But remember the uh, Ainana is often addressed in hymns as the dragon, catch that. So the vermin flowing from the dragon's mouth may be the destructive power of the storm or flood. The dragon and the torrential floodwaters also appear in poetry as metaphors for the devastating power of war. And for the third millennium B.C., onwards Inanna and Ishtar becomes goddesses of war. So you see how these things get separated and evolved and and reduced and handed back and you know this constant churning of the mythical and archetypal world revealing its stories and its place in our world. So for many centuries, you know, the memory of Sumar and Sumar had vanished. But in the Gnostic literature of the first centuries of Christianity, it contains a poem called "The Thunder Perfect Mind." I put that up probably last year. It's a, it's another. It's a magnificent, magnificent hymn of uh, of Vainamba. I am the first. and I am the last. I am the whore and I am the Holy One. I mean, come on, let that rock. I mean, talk about uh, being able to integrate opposites. I mean, that that poem is a magnificent version of when the opposites stand together as one. And even when you recite that poem, it will help you integrate conflicting um principles within yourself. Because it, it, it causes that that integration, which is what Jung talks about in um active imagination. I mean I have one time I was working on the on this thunder the perfect mind and oh of course the the who and the holy one. I mean that just I just love that. And I said, oh, I'm gonna have a Active imagination with my whore and my holy one, and it was intense, terrifying, and ultimately hilarious when one spoke to the other. And the final conclusion was, well, then I'm an enlightened hoe So I guess all things go well with Inanna and thunder and the perfect mind. So the, the, the richness of this this myth of this goddess, of the Sumerian people, and how much they've influenced us. So there, leave it to the Gnostics. The Gnostics are the ones that have the true teachings of uh, of Christ. Um, they kind of see the world like the matrix. You know, you either take the red pill or the blue pill. So that's one way that we look at the... the uh, the Gnostic teachings. So, the old image of the Sumerian and Babylonian goddesses, whose archetypal power was expressed in the thunder's roar, and uh, in here, integrated with the iconology of the goddess as a personification of wisdom that has uh, evolved during the intervening millennia, right? So this is one way, when we we start to see this, Ainana Ishtar was also identified with Cyrus, bow star. The beautiful Assyrian seal uh, shows her holding the bow that signified the epiphany of Cyrus. And the stars tip the arrows and quiver as she holds it. And one rests on her crown. And beneath her feet is the lion. And the rising of Cyrus, in conjunction with the sunrise of the month of July, heralds the parching drought and death-bringing heat of the summer months, when everything visible withered and died. And the people of Samaria were struck by the arrows of the twins, Scrooge. Uh, how do you say that? Scrooge's of hunger and disease. Yay! It's the summer months. Not a good place to be in the summer. Guess not. Right? So as Cyrus and Inanna uh, was the power who, through drought and disease and war and death, destroyed the earth and her children, and her power to bring death into balance by the palm tree of the tree of life, which is also another image of her, This was the time when her son, the earth's vegetation, was sacrificed and descended into the underworld to await the time of regeneration. So Ainana also in, in this these symbols um when she goes into the underworld, which I will be getting to when she goes into the underworld to meet her dark sister, Arishkagal, I mean, that's a descent into the underworld. And we all make a descent into the underworld. Of course, we don't see ourselves as Inanna. Uh, but when she makes that descent, all powers of heaven and earth are taken away from her. Because she needs to meet her dark sister sister, her shadow aspect, the one she does not know, Arishka Gal's husband had died, and Ainana goes, in. I was just having a thought, how could death die in the death realm, but it's myth, I'll go with it, so Ainana uh, descends to meet her, her dark sister, and, and, uh, is less than thrilled. Now, one of the marvelous, marvelous, marvelous things when she makes her descent, of course, I'm jumping ahead, but hey, it's midnight. When she makes the descent, each gate, she's got to go through seven gates. I'll, I'll go over this more specifically in a couple of weeks. She has to go through the seven gates. And seven, of course, as you know, is Saturn, and then we've got the seven chakras, and then we've got the seven powers, seven, 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 it's a fantastic number. And she goes through the seven gates, and at each gate she gives up, or is something, like her crown is taken, or something is taken away. And each time something is taken away, she is told, Inanna, the way of the underworld is perfect. Now, if we could remind ourselves of that as we're careening into a depression, you know, or um, a feverish pitch of jealousy or envy or any of the the deeply rich emotions that bring us to our knees and have us uh, understand our humanity, hopefully with a little kindness and compassion, it's perfect. The ways of the underworld are perfect. Now, I suspect what they mean by perfect, uh, the etym- one of the etymology of the, the meaning of perfect means all our parts. Nothing is excluded. Most people consider perfect as like the l- 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 good. Let's just do the good. Well, the more you want that. Only goodness, or goodness as perfection, you are calling up the devil from your unconscious. You know, by nature, it must come forth because we're out of balance. We we see it happen all the time. Um, even that saying, you know, no good turn goes unpunished, I I never understood that. It seems like, oh, that's so cynical. And yet, you know, I thought about it for 25 years and finally came up with um, a, a reasonable insight. I don't know that it's the only insight, but it is a reasonable one, or it's the one that... I liked at the moment, I still think about it, but, you know, that no good turn goes unpunished. And I realized, well, when we do good, whatever that might mean, we are going to evoke its opposite. We are going to evoke shadow. If we do a good turn for another person, for one person, let's say there's two friends and one person really does need you, and you extend yourself and you do an extra special goodness for them, the other friend may just feel a little dark about that or feel like, you know, a little jealous or a little envious. Like how come they didn't get a extra scoop of ice cream or a diamond or whatever? Okay. Or that when we are going to do something good, if we don't know what is just and balanced, it's going to come back in our face. You you extend a courtesy to an ungracious person, a rude person with no manners. What do you think is going to happen? So this giving and this goodness business needs a lot of wisdom. We just can't be, you know happy little imbeciles that go off giving, giving, giving and good, 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 good because we're unconsciously evoking its opposite and then cannot understand or feel hard done by, which is totally understandable for how it doesn't exactly pan out. Goodness needs measurement and wisdom. That's what I'm saying. I would prefer, I mean, this is my personal, you know, by nature, I'm generous. So that's something I like about myself. But I have to measure my generosity. Just because it comes natural doesn't mean that I'm right. And so we can be generous uh, to the wrong person. And, And they hurt others with something you've given them. So, you know, you really need to look at these these uh, natural emotions and this addiction to perfection, and that is not always so good to be good. Or you can go do the good and then wait to see what returns and then do an act of imagination with those two opposites so that you get, see, in active imagination, what you need to do is you need to get the two opposing um, issues, right? Whether it be good and evil or up and down, whatever it might be. And you let them dialogue. You know, one says one thing, and like I said about the whore and the holy one, all right? One says one thing to the other and back and forth in this Dialogue begins to happen. Now, as that begins to happen, and those two become in relationship with one another, one is not overcoming the other, a third factor will happen. The magical third in alchemy is about. The aha moment. The, the paradox. Da, 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 da. Okay, so, uh, the English ladies tell me I've got to get off the phone. So... Um, here we are. We're at the end, the beginning of the morning, and for the end of this episode. So I hope you enjoyed it, uh, and also sign up on uh, Blog Talk Radio, and then you'll get right to your email every day. I also put it up on Facebook. So, till we meet again. Bye bye.